Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara Carney and I am the host. To episode 62 of Book of Leaves, the first episode of the third year of the podcast or the fourth season after a much needed little winter break there. But it's spring and I'm back. I hope you enjoyed last week's pre cap of what I've been up to. So if you haven't listened to that, you can go back and check that out. If you are new to the podcast, hello and welcome. And to any regular listeners, hello and welcome back. I do, before I introduce Patrick to you, want to quickly say sorry. I have a new Patreon called Eva. Hi, Eva. And thank you so much for subscribing that I forgot to shout out in last week's episode. She didn't get on to me or anything. I just realised after I had recorded it and was like, oh no. So thank you, Aoife. And thank you to everyone who uh, supports this podcast on Patreon. If it is something that you like, the work that I do or anything Book of Leaves related, it, it will be greatly appreciated if you do have the resources to uh, um, support me financially. You can do so through patreon.com forward slash book of leaves you can do once off donation there or on buymeacoffee.com forward slash book of leaves either because we're all getting those electricity bills now am I right you guys am I right so don't worry about it but thank you so much to the people who have and continue to support the podcast use our legends so Patrick Kieran is a secondary school teacher he is an absolute legend I can't wait for you to hear the stories he shares everything that he mentions is listed in the show notes I'm also aware that the IPCC report will have come out today I haven't read this yet I'm record- recording this before that I don't read them anyway that that's not like I just have not got the brain for it so I wait for people like the Climate Alarm Clock podcast by Dara Wynn and other kind of Instagram accounts I follow to share snippets so undoubtedly that'll probably be pretty crap but in other news today I will be at Blanchardstown Court so the 4th of April 2022 supporting our activist Zach Lumley who was on this podcast before talking about civil disobedience who was going to be in court over criminal damage for him spraying an eco-friendly dye that washed away in the rain on Keepak's logo in December 2020 so hopefully when you listen to this he won't have had a conviction but we will see that protest is all about how animal farming is linked to pandemics and the destruction of the planet in general, not to mention millions of lives being killed in the industry. So um, that's where I am right now while you're listening to this, maybe. So I'll be there all day on the 4th. And yeah, keep an eye on our social media, Animal Rebellion Ireland and Book of Leaves. I'll be sharing any updates there. It might get postponed, but it might not. So we're dressing up tomorrow at Blanchetown Court. If you're listening to this before 10am, sure, I might see you there. And now, for Patrick. Patrick, as I said, is a secondary school teacher. Can't wait for you to listen to this. I did have a question for him in the interview, which I've it's now kind of obsolete because I asked him how does he feel about uh, basically a climate change subject? They must, the government must have heard me or something, guys, because now, I joke, now there is a new subject coming in called Climate Change and Sustainable Development. So at the very end, you will hear his thoughts on this. Okay, without much further ado, without further, without further ado, that's the phrase. Here is Patrick. Thanks so much for tuning in. And don't forget to share this with a friend or any teachers or students you know. I think it's a really good one to share with them. Okay, enjoy. Am I 
amazing. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me on the Book of Leaves podcast. It is lovely to have you here and I would love if you could please introduce yourself to listeners who have no idea who you are. Well, thank you very much for inviting me on. I feel privileged. Um, I'm a secondary school science teacher. Uh, my name is Patrick Curran. I, I, I've been working on environmental leadership development projects in schools for quite a, some time. I've been teaching for 12 years. I am a climate and ecological activist. So I'm trying to make positive change in my the community that I live in, but also my school community. And I started a, an Irish school sustainability network last year. And that gives me the chance to work with some really incredible teachers and students and work on joint projects together. So that's one of the, the joys in my life. The work that you guys do is unreal but obviously going into science is really interesting you know part of science is I guess the natural world world and climate science but that's only a tiny part probably of the curriculum but did you go into that you know kind of knowing that you were into the climate or was there a different aha or inspiring moment that made you kind of eco-conscious? Um, it's interesting I mean I've always had a like just absolutely love and adore the natural world and you know when I was in college I would try and get connect people with the nature so we started a little entomology group when I was doing my PhD and we used to do some little workshops in the botanical gardens and you know at the time I remember there's all this wasteland you know around Ireland like the councils would have and I was kind of inspired by Hans Vischer and the work he's doing with um Fingal isn't the county council that he's with I think so and um so we had big dreams of kind of like attaching land to the you know to the the college and kind of um doing some work there with zoologists which didn't happen so it's it's been in my mind um but really I suppose when I started teaching I came to teaching a, a little later in life through a wonderful charity called Teach First in fact actually I didn't um you know, the idea of being a teacher, I'd rather chop off my own arm. You know, when I was in school, it's not something I no wanted way. to do <laughs> at all. Worst nightmare. But um, it turned out to be like I saw this this charity and this, their mission and it just really grabbed me. And at the time I was working a job that I felt was having really low impact, long term kind of impact. Is, you know, you'd have to wait a long time for change to happen. So I needed something more immediate. And this placed you in, in challenging schools in like around the UK and trained you on the job. And um, I thought, right, this I know I'm alive when I'm doing this. But um, I think Greta made my teaching a little bit more explicit, my messaging a bit more explicit. Oh, really? Around kind of, well, all the environmental stuff. So I had kind of projects in school. But I wasn't really, um, yeah, I just wasn't really being explicit in my messaging. So she was a big, I suppose, game changer for me. But I would say it's interesting being kind of eco-conscious. I mean, I've been, you know, aware of my environment in the natural world, but probably maybe, you know, in the, in the last 10 years, I've been more conscious of being kinder to the environment. But I, I have to say, actually, coming back to live in Ireland has been really challenging on that front because I'm living in the country and I have to drive to work. And that's, you know, 50K um, oh God. For, for one trip. So it's 100K round trip. And I really, really miss my bicycle because when I was in London, I just used to cycle to work. 
Um, so that's that's it's there, there are challenges there yeah. that you have to try and navigate. Yeah. When you were in the UK, was it watching Greta's videos and everything that kind of sparked bringing that into the work that you were doing? And, and were the students that you were working with, were they aware of it as well? Or were they introducing you to her? Find her through The Guardian and, and articles sure. and newspapers. But um, I think most, even actually, it was really interesting, a year into her kind of school strikes, my students didn't know who she was. Really? You know, it was really like, even though she was all over the news and, and, and the papers, they just didn't know. And um, so, and I think actually what's what's really interesting is there is this image that youth are hyperactivated and aware <laughs> and they are just the same as the adults. You know, you've got like this incredible youth campaign and they've done in amazing work. But there is also a huge contingent of youth who don't know what's going on. You know, and I think that's the same with adults, that... We know that climate change is a thing and, and that's part of public discourse. But what we we don't have an understanding of and a deep awareness of is the scale of the emergency, like the act, the magnitude of the emergency, the urgency at which we need to act. And time and time again, I talk to people and and a lot of people think, you know, that actually this is something that's going to affect their children or maybe their grandchildren, which is really interesting and, and, you know, I think quite selfish (laughs) in that this is something that actually they have to deal with. But, you know, if you're under 60, (laughs) this is going to be, you know, a big part of your life. Yeah, I think that's quite, that's quite interesting. That is really interesting because you do, you get used to say, if you enter that, that environment of activism or awareness you see that there's loads of people in it and you think, wow, the awareness is really growing, but you kind of forget that there's you're in a bubble. There is a big, big like awareness and education problem. But I think we'll probably get more into that uh, later as we talk a little bit about education and schools. But then as a teacher, so you are now teaching, but maybe you were still teaching in, in um, the UK at this point, but what were the kind of first things when you had that awareness that you kind of as a teacher, you know, someone, you have a bit of like power, you have a bit of like responsibility to kind of start, you know, bring that awareness to students. So what were the, some of the first things that you like incorporated into your teaching about climate change? Um, well, interestingly, teaching in the UK is very different to teaching in Ireland. And there's no room in the curriculum to provide education around climate change it's part of the curriculum but you you know a small part of the curriculum but there's no time to kind of labor on that it's quickly like right do the kids know what they need to know and um, move on so is it its own tiny little module or is it in within another subject so it's within science let's say within geography and it might be literally a 50 minute lesson um, or, or two lessons. So there's no education really there. There's no there's no space to have that in the curriculum in London. I can't impress upon you the pressure in that system and on teachers and students to basically hit the ground running, work, 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 and try and, you know, push attainment levels up. It's all about grades. But I was, I was working in a school called Hammersmith Academy for the last seven years that I was in London. 
It was an inner city school, disadvantaged school. It had 66% pupil premium. So these are 66% of the students who fell below kind of um, or had been in poverty in the last three years. About 55% of the students live in apartments. Um, this, they had no space at home and no space in school. The school was tiny. Now, it was a beautiful new building you know, had all modern facilities and uh, state-of-the-art and uh, it, was, it, was, it was wonderful and a great space to be in, but it was very small. So there's no, there's a very little perimeter around the school. Um, just to give you an idea of that, the kids had to be bused to um, playing fields to do their sports. So wow. there's no sports facilities on site or anything like that. And the kids didn't really have a love of nature um staff i would say the majority of them didn't have a love of nature either because they too themselves were kids who grew up in the city in the same context and i just don't think that they knew kind of what it was all about so maybe i'll talk about that in a minute but just to give you some stats but i started gardening on the balcony in school we had two lovely balconies in science we're on the top floor of the the building it had three floors and you'd look out over london and it was just incredible seeing the sunrise in the morning and and that started me on this amazing journey kids absolutely loved it and um and the next year that was my first year and the next year i came into school and there was like a greenhouse and a raised bed so they'd kind of taken this grassy area which was beside the car park um, that nobody used under a big plane tree. And they just put a greenhouse there and a raised bed. And the first thing I did with the students was we planted, which wasn't great for nature. And this was really interesting, actually, because I think what I needed to do was something that was high impact to draw them in and inspire them and then slowly get them into to kind of weave them into nature and and get them doing things that they might not want to do at the beginning or at least like before they've had that experience sure so basically we we planted hundreds of tulips or maybe even a thousand and some daffodils and alliums and when those tulips came out oh my god in spring it was just incredible because there's nothing around the school, you know, it's quite kind of drab, lots of concrete. And you had this incredible spring display with these really big blossoms and everybody talked about it. You know, the, the kids were just like, oh, my God, that looks beautiful. The, the you know, facilities staff, the um, catering staff, everyone was just like, this is amazing. Oh. And... We were doing this work after school and I said to the, the principal at the time, look, this isn't sustainable because the kids want to go home in the winter, you know, at, you know, because it's getting dark. And so can we kind of weave this into tutor time, which is in the middle of the day from half 11 to 12, where all the kids are in their tutor class in all year groups and they're mixed. It's a vertical tutoring. So like you've got students from first year right through to sixth year in oh, the one cool. group. Uh, oh, it's very cool, actually. So we took kids out of those classes downstairs and those these are kids who opted into the program. And in that first year, I mean, it was just Cara. It was incredible. Like there was like a fifth, fifth year students in the greenhouse, like in their free periods, their study periods with their shoes off, the radio on, potting up stuff and just, you know, high on life. That is <laughs> like, amazing. It was just, honest to God, it was just lovely. And um, and all the students who were walking past, because because of this small perimeter, 
this this these facilities and resources were just outside the principal's office you know when everyone walked by like they're in the playground so people would see this and be like what is he doing you know what are these students doing and they kind of were like oh i'd like a little piece of that and then in the second year i came off my tutor group completely so i didn't have a tutor group anymore and that was my focus so i'd just work with kids in the garden from half 11 to 12 every day and that was from september right through to the end of july because the school year is extended over there we don't have these crazy three-month holidays and sure. <laughs> um, we've only got six weeks but uh which is is, is good but i am um, yeah it was it was amazing and then literally just took off so we got chickens we had a mini orchard we had we won um the royal horticultural society school gardening team of the year in 2017 and that gave us a new cedar greenhouse and we developed a whole new area. We kind of wrapped the garden around the school and we you know, developed kind of beds for, for just vegetables. And that cedar greenhouse was like the Porsche of greenhouses. So you would go in there in the morning and the smell of the wood was just intoxicating, just amazing. And we developed a little work. We've colonized a little area where the facilities team were and developed a workstation where the kids would deconstruct pallets and turn them into planters. That's so cool. And then we launched a whole school environmental leadership development program that changed my life. So this is a program where we invested in a small number of students, maybe about 30 students at the beginning, where we really showed them how to you know what leadership was all about we taught them how to and these are kids who were on the program anyway um but we we taught them how to you know really deconstruct the pallets and turn them into planters and how to care for the chickens and how to propagate in the greenhouses and how to work in the beds and then we taught them we took them off site for a day initially to a a partner kind of corporate business that allowed us to use their boardroom and we talked to them, about, to them about leadership and we did role modeling of, of kind of, um, you know, role plays of how to deliver a workshop. And so we, you know, we had students who would um, show other students in that session how to plant seeds and they would have to kind of communicate the task. They'd have to teach them how to do it. They'd have to quality control. And we taught them how to give, do observations of each other, how to give feedback to the students. And then from then on, every single day, we would I would take a tutor group down, 30 kids down to the garden, and I would hand five students to a student leader. And there'd probably be eight student leaders in the garden. So like this is spread out of a whole area. Students at pallets, in chickens, in greenhouses, in beds. And on the way down, the students are like, you know, because this is going throughout winter as well. The students are like, why? Why are you doing this to us? Why? Yeah, we don't want to do this. Yeah. And they're whinging, moaning. And then, and then literally two minutes in the garden and there's silence because they are just like quietly chatting and doing their little, you know, getting into whatever they're doing and, um, and just loving it. And at the end of that first session, and the students would say, is that it? Like, do we get another day of this? <laughs> and then and then at the end of the third day, they were like, oh, we want to be out here all the time. So every tutor group had at least three days. And then we'd move on to the next tutor group. 
and we'd do the whole school and we'd start the cycle again and we'd recruit new leaders as the year went on so they the old leaders would become kind of um would team teach with the new leaders and it was just incredible because it changed the students perception of themselves and it changed their perception of nature so before we rolled out this program we did a whole school survey that had 590 students in that survey and the school is about maybe 800 we said to them would you like more opportunities to connect with nature to do more gardening and 20% said they would and then after they came down and had that experience we we asked them again and i think that jumped to at least 60 or 70% wow and so what it said to me is that the students don't know what to think of nature because they haven't experienced it but when they have that experience, they want more. And, and that was in the very early days of the program when the leaders were, you know, rusty and, and you know, as, as good as they are now. They were warming up to it, like, yeah, not that experienced. Exactly. Yet. Yeah. But they were still amazing. We would, as a teacher, and this is in a school where there are behavior issues, you know. Yeah. So in a science classroom, you know, I'd be Hawkeyes, literally watching all the students, what they're doing. Down here, I couldn't do that because they're spread out over a large area. And I didn't need to because they were just totally not engaged. So I would go down and like I'd have an observation sheet and I'd just literally pop around to the leaders and observe them and give them feedback. But the lovely thing was they could be on the program for years. It was so rich. It was just amazing. So we had the care home next door to us, literally on the opposite wall, opposite on the other side of the wall to, to the, our garden. So we set up a garden for them wow. with a greenhouse and raised beds and the kids would go in there once a week. We grew food for a local food bank. Um, it was really, really, really special. And the kids were effusive about it. So they talked about like confidence. Um, they talked about responsibility. They talked about socializing, feeling part of a community and, in you know, having fun and enjoying themselves. So it was just, it ticked all the boxes. And I think... It changed. It did change my perspective on what we should be doing in education because all those things that we want to do as teachers, it was it's difficult to achieve in the classroom. Whereas, and when we talk about leadership, to be a leader, it has to be practiced. You know, doing the same thing all the time and failing in a very safe environment. So they would get, you know, when they got it wrong, it wasn't a big deal because it was just the, the stakes weren't high. It wasn't an exam, and they knew they had opportunities to, you know. Next, the next day, the next week, to practice that again. Yeah. So I ended up actually going into um, down to four days a week and taking this model and trying to roll it out to other schools in a community garden that I started just in my own community in Cricklewood in London. So it was a social enterprise where this old farmhouse with an incredible history called Clitter House. Very funny name. Um, basically, it was going to be demolished. Some locals saved it. And then I came on board for the nature side of the project. And basically was doing, well, trying to roll out that program to primary and secondary schools, but also working with adults in the community, doing the exact same thing that we were doing with the students. And what I saw is, like, we're all so disconnected from nature. And we know that. Yeah. And I saw parents who would bring their students you know, or bring their children along. And they were like, oh, she wants to kind of do this. Do you mind if she comes in and helps you out? And I'm like, yeah, totally. But like, come in yourself. Come on, have a go. No, 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 not for me. Not, I, I couldn't get my hands in soil. And I was like, look, 
just have a go. Come on, come in, and and then they and then you know the parents would come in and they'd start pottering up in the greenhouse and um, sowing seeds and whatnot. And at the end, they're just like, "Wow, that was really relaxing." You know, really yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah. And they're having, and there's something in terms of especially because when you're meeting strangers for the first time, you know, trying to start the conversation and feeling awkward. But when you're just working, that conversation happens naturally, and so it takes the heat off. It was just it, yeah. Just really something special and really changed uh, my perspective on life and what we should all be doing. I mean, no wonder. That sounds absolutely bloody amazing. And what's the name of that program? And is it still running in some schools over there? So the the Environment Leadership Development Program was a bespoke program that I just basically started because it wasn't part of the curriculum. So we just kind of created it. But the, what is amazing is when I knew I was leaving, I knew I'd be coming back home to Ireland. And um, so I really kind of padded it out. You know, I kind of accelerated the partnerships around it. And I had someone from the community who was working with me and kind of primed them to kind of take over. So the principal, I think, ended up putting 15,000 into it, uh, maybe 20 to keep that whole program going because he saw the value of it. Like he saw, like it was outside his window. Like he basically, he, he the students just, he saw how, what an impact it had on them, how much they loved it. And they ended up winning last year, Sustainable School of the Year. Um, Patrick, which that's is just amazing. really, really, yeah, it was really, really lovely. Like it was, it was something, it was really, really special and, and real. Yeah. You know, meaningful. Yeah. Um, where it did actually, it wasn't just knowledge, you know, it was attitudes and practices as well. You know, it was behavior change that we were seeing and, oh, it was a dream. That is absolutely amazing. Like, it's such a good example of when, you know, that there's different ways of like, there can be changes made to these systems that we have that are quite simple and not idealistic and really have such strong results like that for attitudes and for action it's just that's just amazing so when did you come back to Ireland then so I came back in August 2020 and uh, and actually do you know what <laughs> having a community garden on your doorstep in lockdown <laughs> was a treat because that's where I spent my lockdown with the gates closed oh and, amazing um, Came home in 20, what is it, 2020 August and was very lucky to get a job in Tremor and Waterford. Back in Ireland and trying to get set up again and um, build some networks and, yeah, and hopefully, you know, start this program that I had in, in London here. And actually, after nearly two years now of being in the education system, I know a little bit more um and i can see how that program would run in ireland so we're just literally actually um a wonderful man from kilkenny came down to us uh yesterday and was checking out a site for a i think we're going to go for the more expensive option of a like it's it's a kind of a polycarbonate structure that will because we're on the coast it'll withstand storms okay sure so it it um it'll be an outdoor classroom where we can, during well-being classes, we can bring kids out and, and run this environmental leadership program. So fingers, it'll take me a little bit of time to set it up, but I think it'll hopefully start in September. And um, Amazing. Fingers crossed a year or two down the line, it'll be as, as, as good and impactful as the, the one in London. Yeah, that would be so good to see. And sure, if you need 
I mean, help, like at the end when I ask for your handle or email, you know, if people can offer assistance, maybe they could get in touch with you or advice and maybe getting their own thing started up in their own school would be so cool. But we touched a little bit on, I guess, the power of education. We've seen an example of it, but like, what do you feel is the role of schools and or teachers in dealing with the climate crisis or educating about it like where do you think schools should fall in this movement we have to go back to basics and think what is education for and and that's for preparing our students for the future so they need to know they need to have the knowledge of what's happening in the world and what's their role within that and i think schools need to become models of sustainability. We need to talk the talk and we need to walk the walk. That's about procurement, the buildings, the grounds, the curriculum. And we need to be explicit about what changes we're making in our school and why. And show the kids that we're making this a priority. You know, this is front and centre. Because if it's not a priority, which it isn't at the moment, well, then it's not important. You know, I think during the pandemic, it's been, I can, we've ha- we have been incredibly lucky in a way to have this lesson of the pandemic. And there's obviously been a lot of suffering um, with the pandemic, but it's, it's taught us that actually the power of collective action and how we can respond to a threat um, immediately. Mm-hmm. And what the kids have seen is that in our schools, we have um, had, you know, dispensers um, on the outside of the classrooms. We've changed the seating plans. We've changed the timetable of the day with breaks and lunches. We're wearing masks in school. All of these things have happened. And the government, some of the kids won't know this, but have paid for positions, lead worker representatives in school, a new position to cope with this emergency. People who manage the school system to, you know, reduce the spread of the virus and so that's an incredible response but they see nothing for the climate and ecological emergency that's at that scale and that must be incredibly worrying so i think the other thing as well is that we need to keep in mind that schools have a ripple effect that the teaching and the learning leaches out into the community and there's a 2019 study which shows that um, they gave classes uh, climate change education in other classes, no climate change education. And they monitored parental attitudes of, you know, the, the parents of the students of those classes yeah. over a long period of time. And it showed that the students who were taught climate change, their parents, they had changes in their attitude towards climate change. And actually, the parents who were, were conservative, they had the biggest change in, in attitudes. And so we have an incredible opportunity here in a role. And I think we should be teaching students about politics, showing them that it matters, getting them right into their TDs and counsellors, showing them how to engage. And I think there's a mental health epidemic in our schools, without a doubt. But this will be exacerbated with the climate crisis. And we need to get ahead of this and make sure that we are, we have a duty of care to these kids that we are not acting on right now. Because we're not allowing them to find their own agency and empowerment in dealing with this crisis. We've kind of just developed this culture, all of us, of apathy and acceptance. 
And that's, you know, and we've seen this with, you know, some really big surveys with 10,000 students that was published in The Lancet, that 75% think that the, the future is frightening. So I think um, we need to kind of challenge this culture of apathy and acceptance and create a culture of engagement and, and, and agency and teach the students about the solutions because they, they really want to find out. And the other side of it is, is really to teach nature because you and I and most adults didn't receive that education in school. Nope. And it's just crazy. We need to teach the students the value of nature, not that it's just some resource to be exploited. And, but that has to be, you know, it has to be a sensory thing. It has to be a physical thing. It can't just be sitting in the classrooms talking about it. It needs to be, it needs to be both. Because if we can't teach the students to value nature and have that deep love of nature, then why would they want to protect it? Because we haven't. You know, and that's because of education. And I suppose the one thing I would say is that oil companies, for example, in, in America, completely and utterly recognize the power of education. And they are infiltrating the education system. And they are, you know, putting out positive messages about fossil fuels. Really? And so are these like packs that they would be sending to schools and that? And, or... Teams of people who are going out to schools wow. with packs educational resources talking about how you know where fossil fuels create jobs and which they do but that they not talking about the environmental impact and not and talking about the negatives of renewable energies wow so it's it's and we're just not using you know that kind of platform in the same way yeah, I mean, the, there's so much potential we had. I was very lucky to grow up in a school with lots of grassy areas. Like we had a, in my primary school, there was a pitch for each class. And the only garden that you would see are these beds of shrubs, just shrubs with wood chippings on them. Like they're everywhere and do very little. So there's just so much that could be done. And I'd say we probably need a mixture of top down and bottom up approach, you know, but... Yeah, you're doing. Yeah, like, I think it, it's very inspiring to hear what you've done already, though. But it's it's really interesting. I think you know, um, at the moment, what we see with Apple Green is they've got this. Um, I'm not sure if you know, they've got this primary um, program called BioDive. No, I've heard of it. They're um, highlighting the benefits of biodiversity and trying to get the kids to go to the stations and collect stickers and things like that. And it's really interesting because <laughs> we are trying to teach the students critical thinking skills and we're not even doing that ourselves with this program from apple green a fossil fuel company who are trying to which is basically this this program is a greenwashing and a really yeah. good example of greenwashing you know when we think about um what happened with cigarette companies in years gone by literally primary schools participating in this program and they probably don't even they're not even aware of it you know, this is how bad uh, I think our situation is. And I'm not, by the way, criticizing teachers who are participating in this program because I think they're just not aware of what they're doing. But actually participating in that program from Apple Green, Bidev, is like spinning positive messages about cigarettes, you know, and in a, in a context where we are subsidizing still fossil fuels, we need to be very careful about what we're doing with our kids and what messaging we're giving them. And actually saying, you know what? 
this this program actually isn't good enough and we're not going to support these fossil fuel companies we have to fill up our cars and we have to do all that but in again in a context where we're subsidizing fossil fuels and they're not even putting you know a high percentage of their profits in fact it's a very low percentage of profits into renewable energies it's 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 just crazy now actually i have to say with apple green i'm not sure what percentage they're putting into renewable energies but on a global scale fossil fuels are companies are not making the transition as fast as they need to Mm, yeah but it's just really interesting just in terms of critical thinking skills i think we really need to you know practice what we preach absolutely definitely and do they talk about this when you're being trained as a teacher do they talk about your kind of responsibility to kind of teach about these bigger very overwhelming political issues does that come up much um or to say you're a science teacher so you'll get it when it comes up in your science training but um yeah other than that does it really kind of come up in my own training it didn't um and that was 12 years ago i think from what i hear it is in, and I, I hear from actually teachers who are give, who are providing this, uh, one teacher of mine who's doing this training on teacher training programs. My feeling is that the, the training that is given, it's short, I think, and I'm not totally sure about this and be really interesting to find this out, but it's still a kind of an opt-in kind of thing or um, it's not front and center. So it's, it, it's kind of like, is this what you're passionate about? If it is, you sure. know, do this kind yeah. of training, and rather than actually that this is 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 really vital and and you need to to, to have this training, yeah, is are you passionate about this? Are you passionate about your own survival? <laughs> <laughs> what a question! I know it's wild, but I think you know, Mary I, St Pat's, all these universities or places where people go to train to be teachers in Ireland so easily if there was a module there or you know a compulsory thing that that everyone had to attend that go okay climate crisis look at all these things that are working in schools like community gardens and whatever that can enrich like for that to be brought there all of those teachers then to go out and that ripple effect would be even bigger because all all of the teachers have that knowledge and then all of the teachers and all of their students and then all the students in all their communities like it would be so impactful rather than just leaving it up to you know the teachers who are already kind of aware or really passionate about their own survival already yeah it's wild but yeah that is a change I would love to see and something that from talking even to a couple of student activists that I've noticed is that really the awareness really does differ from school to school um which I imagine you've probably found yeah no it it does differ from school to school without a doubt and it's such a shame because it shouldn't matter what school you go to you know everyone should get that education um and ideally it should be a culture of climate and, and nature education so you're you know again you're you're looking at this knowledge attitudes and practices it's woven into the fabric of school life it results in behavior change and if there are schools who are like that I'd love to hear from them um, I think there are schools that are in a much better position th- than others. I think, you know, in my own school, our wheels are just starting to touch the ground <laughs> and get going. It's really interesting talking to some of the students that 
you might, because of an educational program that's going on and being delivered, some year groups might be more aware than others, even within a school. It just isn't a priority for schools across the board. And what I would say about that is that teachers and students are members of the public. And if I go outside my house here now and talk to my neighbours, not a clue of what's going on. And I have spoken to them. And the reason why they don't know what's going on is because the only people who are getting some education are the kids in school, and they're all getting some education um, on it. But, you know, as adults, we're not. And we rely on the media for that education. And, you know, you've got some people like Kevin O'Sullivan and other amazing people who are doing a great job on, you know, in in the Irish Times or on Twitter or whatever, But there's a lot of people that that don't have access to that. So you have to rely on the news. And we know that RT are doing an awful job (laughs) of that. And and this should be as high profile as COVID was every single day, talking about solutions and what we should be doing. and, And it's just not happening. So like if it's not in the news, it's not an emergency. And it's really interesting because over the summer, I, we had uh, John Williams, who's the managing director of RT News, was absolutely crucified on social media because of his climate change coverage. And overnight, in fairness to them, there was a sea change. And what I heard here from my own family, who are <laughs> sometimes oblivious of getting there, um, was like, my, you know, my brother came up to the house and was just like, oh my God, this is serious. Wow. You know, and yeah. and that lasted for a few weeks and then we came to September. Oof, that was it. Nothing. Yeah. So I just I I feel, yeah, there needs to be a lot of work. And actually there's, you know, some amazing people like Kate Minock and um Jerryanna Sullivan in two teachers in, in Educate Together Schools, I think in Wickham and Cork, who've, you know, who are doing some really good work around this and trying to there's lots of amazing champions out there. Oh yeah. But it can't be left to the champions, you know, because they end up burning out and it needs and they you know, all these people are uh, many of them are doing this on their own time mm-hmm. in the evenings, at the weekends, and it's exhausting. It needs to be, you know, there needs to be provision in schools to to allow this to basically kind of to happen as part of, of what we, as you know, of what we do. Definitely. And one of the things you set up, you mentioned at the start, you started the Irish Sustainable Schools Network. That's what ISSN stands for, is it? <laughs> Did I get it yeah, right? Uh, nearly there, Irish Schools Sustainability Network. Oh no, other way around. Okay, Irish Schools Sustainability Network. So what does that do and what does it comprise of? Well, it just makes th- this space a little less lonely. Um, so if you are a champion in your school, it can be a really lonely space. And as we all know, when you are talking to people who don't know what's going on, if you want to clear a room, <laughs> talk about climate. If you're a principal or a deputy principal <laughs> and you are just harassed by colleagues and people just start talking about climate and they'll get out of your office very quickly. Um and and you feel the guilt, you know, having these conversations. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So during lockdown, I launched a biodiversity champion challenge in my school where kids were actually, you know, trying to do stuff at home and create nature patches. And I was talking to the Earth Network about this. It's the Edmund Rice Schools Trust, a group of teachers about this challenge. And then I said to them, look, how would you feel about kind of starting a, a network just as a point to you know teachers and students getting together? 
for some collective action, sharing ideas, chatting, working on some joint projects, and just keeping the energies up. And this is a network that wouldn't be about students. It's not about teachers. It's about a community. We come together as, you know, having an equal voice. Amazing. And, That's really cool. And it's and it's really lovely because, you know, you end up like some nights and we're all feeling the same. You know, you're tired and you're just like, we only meet once a month. Meet on Zoom, seven o'clock on a Thursday. You're tired going to the meeting and you're just like, oh God, I'm tired. But then you come off and you're totally not energized. And it just, you know, it's feel good stuff. We're just trying to push sustainability up the agenda in school, build partnerships. Um, at the end of last year, we decided to do something for COP26. So we had a climate and nature summit for primary and secondary schools in Ireland. It was great because it was all about partnerships. So we had the World Wildlife Fund, we had Voice, we had Connect, um, Concern, Green Schools, EcoUNESCO, Clover Hogan, you know, lots of individuals and organizations coming together, SEI who made sessions for students and teachers and it was about a whole school conversation so the idea was that in secondary you've got two talks a day two 40-minute talks and everybody's watching it together just like everyone was watching you know the announcements during COVID sure you know at six o'clock the news and there's the power in that and everyone goes into the corridor and talks about what they've heard we had um what 2,600 teachers who are over that who registered. We had, I think, 2,500 schools who were involved. Not everybody operated as a whole school thing. Some of them, you know, jumped in for different sessions in the week. Sure. Um, And we had 11,000 views of the content, which is basically should be a class group. And we learned a lot from it. Now, this is interesting. In October, at the beginning of October, when COP26 is, you know, not too far away, and 14%, one four of the students who completed the survey, and there's 1,300 students who completed the survey, had heard of COP26, 14%. So it just shows that they weren't getting this education in school. And this is what this was kind of going to address. This year, November, we're going to slim it down, one session a day for, for secondary. Well, fastest whole school conversation, it'll cover topics that you'll never cover in the curriculum because there's just not enough time. And also, this is a fast-changing landscape. And we need to be up to speed of what's going on. But everyone's busy and that's really difficult. So this is a space which will help with that. So we've got Owen Galvin, who's part of the Psychologist Kind of Alliance in Ireland, who's going to do a session for us on the psychology of climate. <laughs> like, why are we in this mess? Oh what's God. wrong with us? Yeah. You know, and updates on uh, COP26 and, and COP27 um what's happened with the latest ipcc report a host of things and yeah. hopefully you know people like owen dalton uh with irish rainforest owen if you're listening get in touch <laughs> uh you know yeah. getting students enthused about irish rainforests you know who most probably people don't know that there's a thing you know irish rainforests are a thing and and so bringing that into schools and yeah fostering the conversation and i would say that this isn't to replace a curriculum it's just trying to well have a different another approach to trying to yeah get it's this another response. angle like because we need a multi multidisciplinary we need a lot to be coming at this from so many different ways from farmers to schools to citizens and whatnot so absolutely citizens like <laughs> schools and farmers aren't citizens but yeah we need loads of different groups coming at this and it, can any student or any teacher get involved with the issn like if there's one sole student in their secondary school like can they get in touch and start joining these meetings anyone can get involved and um we've got 
a website which uh, we're just like it's well it's made it just has to be populated and so we're going to we're hopefully about to launch that and they can get in touch with us on the best place is twitter at the moment irish school susty so it's irish s-c-h susty s-u-s-t-y or they can get me with on grow gardeners um on twitter and or google or skull namara and they'll find us somewhere amazing in i'll that. include so it's, it's all those links in the, the show notes as well that people you know can click your twitter handle and get in touch with it because that would be amazing you know because it is hard if you're especially if you're a teenager and you're feeling this pressure and no one else in your environment that it sounds like a great network and i remember when the when the um summit was on it just looked amazing so that's just another deadly thing that you're doing but um, well just to say yep some of the students who are coming to the meetings, they're not hyperactivated. Well, they are now, but they're not like super confident individuals. Some of them are, but teachers are encouraging students who might not have the confidence to get out there and, and contact other organizations independently. So it's a nice, a welcoming community. And even if for teachers, it, you don't have to know loads of stuff you can just come and listen and have a chat so just it's just yeah. it's just a, a little point of contact amazing yeah I definitely don't know <laughs> I know very little about anything most things I learned I learned uh through meeting people on this actually um my climate knowledge before starting this was very little very small like a couple of documentaries and that was it so yeah I uh would definitely encourage people getting involved with things like that even if they don't know everything for sure and I know you talked a little bit about this year you will be looking at the most recent IPCC report but you mentioned that that has kind of spurred you on how has that made you feel how was your first meeting after that came out so we had a chat with Rachel O'Connor who is this wonderful wonderful human being uh, who is the president of the National Association of uh, Principals and Deputy Principals in Ireland for post-primary she's she gets this and we had a chat and we we're just talking about like, how do we prioritize this? And so she was thinking about, you know, things like the their principals conference this year um, would be on sustainability. But even that isn't going to, you know, make change. So the changes that we need, because we're looking at rapid transformational change here. And we are just so far away from that, you know, especially if we don't know what's going on. So um, their schools obviously have inspections or education for sustainability at the very, very, very bottom of the inspection report. So we've been talking about how do we actually get them to make that front and centre so that actually principals and deputy principals and teachers will see that actually there's a duty of care here. So we're just trying to come at it from different angles, but that's one of the things. The other thing that we're looking at is a pilot, which SAEI are funding, which is great, which is about a five-minute susty initiative and it's literally just where we're trying to get again anybody out there who could help us like who are in policy who are who are people who are influencing government or influencing business or work in energy or biodiversity or transport whatever sector you're working in we're trying to create little groups of people who work in those sectors who can talk about what actions give us a list of actions that we can take as individuals or collectively but most importantly a justification for each action and then we'd have students who basically create videos five minute videos on these actions and justifications and this will be shown to a whole school whatever school sign up they can say right this week uh, we're watching this video as a whole school on monday at 10 o'clock 
next week we're watching it at Tuesday at two o'clock. Yeah. So you're not hitting the same subjects. And just having that whole, com- whole school conversation to get it in our, in our minds and our consciousness. And most importantly, so that, you know, every single teacher and student know what they can do if they want to do something. So that's kind of some of the things that we're looking at. That's amazing. That would be so empowering. So to pivot completely, we are going to round off with some random questions uh, to finish the day. So do you want to pick a letter of the alphabet and I'm going to give you a question? P. P. What possession have you had the longest? And it doesn't have to be beginning with the letter P. Oh, I have something in my in mind. I am... Um... My husband, he bought me, he was in Australia for a year when we first started going out. And this is when we were in college. So 20 years ago. And he bought um, Crumpler, was a a type of bag. They were just starting off um, in Australia. And um, I just love it. Still have it. What's a Crumpler bag? Is that the name? Is it like a, to describe? It's a brand. Right. So the Crumpler is a brand and it's just literally a bag you throw over you and it's just a really handy, handy little bag. And um, it was just, he gives good gifts. Oh, that's so cute. That's so lovely. And it's lasted such a long time. I love stuff like that, especially when they're like practical. That's cool. All right. Do you want to pick another letter? T. T. The most beautiful site or place you've ever seen. Do you know what? That would just have to be here in Waterford. It's such an incredible county and there's a, a beach near me um, called Clonay Beach that 10 minutes away and I cycle from the house here to the well it's about a half an hour cycle but um, it's just it's just amazing like I if ever I'm feeling a bit low or just lack of energy you know I just get on the bike go to the greenway cycle from um Lemmy Brian here through to, um, you know, Dungarvan's incredible tunnel that you go through. And um, just when you come around the corner, you see the beach from a height. And it is it is just amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It's, it always just hits me. And sometimes coming back to Ireland um, obviously gives you a new appreciation for it. But I find myself sometimes just standing on the beach laughing on my own with my dog just been like how amazing is this that's amazing that is like pure bliss I love that and I love that that we can get that feeling from the natural world that is absolutely amazing what a lovely note to end on I think Patrick thank you so much for this chat I know we've gone on for a bit but I've just I found it really really interesting fascinating all the things all your suggestions and your ideas and the things that you're doing so thank you so much for being a champion as you say and flying the the green flag quick guys we need action and actually doing it it's brilliant so thank you so much well thank you very much for your your kind words and for the opportunity and and hopefully um we'll have some people who are, who are listening to this and and please connect with us you know whether you're a teacher or a student or you are someone who's in business or sustainability or whatever we'd love to hear from you and maybe you can come and, and talk to our students and our teachers and, and tell us what you're up to Amazing. thank you so much cara thank you didn't I tell you he had some amazing stories to share so I really hope you guys enjoyed that now as I said at the start there is a new subject coming into secondary school so I asked Patrick to send me his thoughts on this new climate change and sustainable development subject and here they are and enjoy the birds in the background I love it 
The new Leave Insert optional climate and sustainability course is a fantastic step in the right direction. But it's really important to keep in mind that this is just part of a picture. Unfortunately, we can't opt out of climate change. Climate change is going to affect everybody. And therefore, in this world, climate and nature education needs to be the backbone of our curriculum from primary school right through to the end of secondary. We need to be able to see everything through the lens of climate and sustainability and nature. And when it comes to those students who don't opt in for that course, they still need some secure understanding of climate and nature and have confidence around that. Just in the same way that PE is prioritised as a subject from first year right through to the end of sixth year, we need to do the same with climate and nature. And having spoken to just a new group of TYs that started with me this week on a sustainability course, what they are saying very clearly is that they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand that this is something that's going to affect them. They have had some education on climate change, but for whatever reason, that message is not landing with them and they can't articulate what's going on. And therefore, we as educators need to build our own confidence and do much better at this. So I think I have squeezed enough out of Patrick for this episode of Book of Leaves. Don't forget to follow them on social media. I have linked everything in the show notes. You can check out the website if it's not working where you are. If you can, support the podcast um, by sharing it. Recommend it to a friend. If you can, donate to it. That would be amazing. And yeah, just mind yourselves. There'll be a lot in the news today with IPCC. And yeah, just look after yourselves and spend some time in nature and get your strength from there if you can. And sending you lots of love. And thank you so much for listening. Bye.